0: Good morning. Our scripture from, for today comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble.
1: Well, good morning. If you would, go ahead and grab your Bible. Turn with me in your Bible to that passage in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we are picking up where we left off last week. We're going to continue our, stu- our summer study through the Sermon on the Mount, this incredible sermon that Jesus preaches at the start of his ministry to introduce to us what life is like in the kingdom of God, where the reign and rule of God reaches. What will our life look like? What will my life, what will your life look like when God is in control Of our life. And it seems like up until this point, Jesus has already talked about everything. In fact, he pretty much has. And so now he's going to circle back and teach us more about money. Aren't you excited you came to church today? More on money. But this time, he's not going to talk about the tithe. He's not going to talk about how much we should give or even why we should give. He's going to teach us that our money and how we spend and steward our money is directly connected to our level of anxiety. That might make more sense in just a few minutes. This, this sermon, this text has kind of been simmering in my mind the last several weeks as I've been thinking through this study, but it really didn't settle in until just a few weeks ago. I had the opportunity to go to breakfast with a friend, and we went to an old diner situation, old Orlando diner, and we were having breakfast, and it was delicious, which is not part of the story. It's just, it was really good. And at the end of the long breakfast, uh, the check came, and I went ahead and I grabbed the t- check because I am just that generous and he had paid the last two times. But nonetheless, I grabbed the check. I was like, you know, I got it this time. And uh, so we finished, finished breakfast, finished the conversation. We walked about six steps to the cash register, met the same waitress right there. It's one of those situations where you pay at the register, even though she's been serving the table. And so I went up there, I handed her the check, she typed it in the cash register, and then told me the amount, and I opened my wallet, and all of a sudden, instantaneous panic. You ever had one of those moments? Like I opened my wallet and my card wasn't in there. And I only have one card, and I remembered in that moment that I'd given it to my wife the night before to do some shopping. It seems like she's always taking my card, and she swears she gave it back, but it was not where it was supposed to be, and I did not have a backup card. And so, like, instant anxiety. I mean, the bill was only, like, 17 bucks, but I started thinking through, like, what are all the options? Like, what's going to happen here? First and foremost, like, what is my friend going to think? It's going to be really embarrassing after I made that stink at the table when I asked him to bail me out, pay for the pancakes. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. And I, I looked at the door and I thought, well, I'm too slow to dine and dash. And I'm certainly not going to wash dirty dishes. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, how do I pay this bill? It's not a big bill, but it was still a bill and I had no money. And then I remembered, oh, every once in a while, people still pay with cash. And so, like, I looked in the other part of my wall and there was nothing there. It's like, this is not going well. And the anxiety, I started to think through, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna have to humble myself and ask someone else to pay the bill. And... Uh, or trip him and run out the door. I don't know. And then I was like, oh, you know what? I keep an emergency hundred tucked away for situations just like this. And so I pulled it out and I presented the waitress at the small diner a hundred dollar bill. She looked like shocked. What am I supposed to do with that? The total bill is $17. And she talked to everybody in the restaurant and made change. And it was a whole scene, which reminded me or kind of taught me something in that moment. That money can cause anxiety. And I know that's like a dumb story that took place for in a moment in a diner. But isn't it true that the way we spend our money and the way we steward our stuff can cause anxiety in us? And even more, if we've put our trust in money, we'll find that it causes anxiety anxiety. As Jesus continues to preach this incredible sermon, he turns our attention to the connection between the way we spend our money and steward our stuff and the level of anxiety we experience in life. And so we're going to walk through this text relatively quickly, verse by verse, and then we're going to see how we can apply it to our life today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 says this, Jesus says, to the crowd, gathered to hear him teach about the kingdom of God. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so at face value, like at just face value, even if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, this is great financial advice, isn't it? Like wouldn't you love to have a financial advisor that was this honest and had this much insight that could tell you where you needed to put your money so that when you needed it most, it would be there? Like that's why we hire a money guy. So that, because we know deep down that if we spend our money on the things we want to spend our money on, when we need our money most, our money won't be there. Like that's why we are hiring someone to help us figure out where we can invest so someday there will be something there. And Jesus just at face value gives incredible instruction when he invites us to invest in the eternal. And I know that we always say like, you can't take it with you, but Jesus is saying that in some way that is beyond our comprehension, we can send it ahead. That the way we spend our money and steward our stuff here will have a direct impact on what waits for us when we spend eternity with Jesus. He says, we don't want to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, but we can lay up treasures in heaven. That if we leverage our resources here for the glory of God, there will be good waiting for us when we spend eternity with God. And the truth is that this isn't exactly earth-shattering advice, is it? Because if we're honest, it doesn't make sense to stockpile stuff here. Like, if we've lived more than a few months, we know that if the elements or the insects don't destroy the thing, someday someone's going to steal it. Like, I feel like every morning I see an email from, what is it, like Next Door Neighbor, that app where everyone just gets on to complain about everyone like we care. And my car was broken into. I was like, man, I thought we lived in a good neighborhood. But it seems like every time you turn the corner, something is stolen. And if it's not stolen, eventually it's going to wear out. And we will find ourselves paying the price for those things long after they're long gone. I I realized this early on in my marriage. Just a, a few weeks after Carissa and I got married, we moved into a brand new apartment. And we were so excited, brand new to us. And like the first few weeks of marriage, we didn't really really notice that we didn't have anything because we were just so excited to be married. But a couple weeks in, we realized, man, it'd be nice to have a place to sit. And so we went couch shopping and um, we went couch shopping and I made the mistake. I said, well, why don't we go to the store where I really like the look of everything they sell? And I didn't even think about how much things cost. And so we went to the store and that's where we started. And right in the middle of the store is this this beautiful couch. It's made of leather. I said, Carissa, like, that is the beautiful couch. I think we should get that couch. And I'd never been furniture shopping before. I didn't have any furniture. So I went up and I looked and there was no price tag on it, which should have been a clue, right? Like no price tag. So I found a sales lady and I said, hey, how much does this couch cost? And she invited me to walk over with her to a computer. She typed in some numbers. She turned the monitor. And I thought, that costs more than my truck. And I must have been like the look of this dismay on my face. And she said, But it's okay. You can finance this couch over 70 months. To which I thought, 70 months? That couch will not last 70 months. The truth is most marriages don't last 70 months. And then in the back of my mind, I wondered how many divorce settlements were fighting over the the payments on a couch they bought on their honeymoon. You know, like, but it it taught me something. Like, the world will try to sell us the opportunity to accumulate a bunch of stuff here that ultimately is going to saddle us with anxiety, And so Jesus gives wives financial advice. He says, don't spend a lot of time laying up a bunch of treasures here. He never says we can't buy stuff. Never says we can't furnish the house or find a place to sit. But he says, don't lay up a lot of treasure here because eventually it's going to wear out. Instead, it's a wiser investment of our time and our energy and our resources to invest in that which will last for eternity. Jesus gives wives financial advice, but that wasn't his primary motivation. His primary motivation is in in verse 21. He says this. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. First and foremost, Jesus wants our heart. And where we invest is where we place our interest. Where we put our money becomes our priority. And whether you're following Jesus or not, let's just acknowledge that that's true. When you put your money in something that instantly becomes your priority. I was like, think about it. If you like bought a stock, you know, you bought a stock in the stock market, you own one stock. Every time you see the ticker scroll, what symbol are you going to see? Your stock because you're invested in it. So you're interested in it. Your heart is connected to that stock. I was talking to a guy in my neighborhood a few weeks ago who I knew growing up and he was walking around the neighborhood and he was wearing a hat that caught my attention. He was wearing a Florida Gators hat. I stopped and I said, hey, man, I thought, I thought growing up for sure you were a Florida State fan. I remember that because as a UCF fan, we're always fighting with these other schools that think they're the best. And he's like, yeah, I was a Florida State fan. I said, well, what changed? Like, I would never wear a USF hat. You're here wearing a Florida Gators hat. I said, yeah, I sent my son and many tuition checks to Gainesville, and now my heart is in Gainesville. And I was like, man, it's like Jesus knows what he's talking about, the allegiance of his heart. His affection changed when he was invested. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying that we can follow the money to find out if we're following God with all of our heart. I was reading in Matthew. I've been in my in my prayer time. I've been trying to read through the rest of Matthew since we're spending so much time at the beginning of this book. And so earlier this week, I was in Matthew chapter 15, and Jesus is kind of in the middle of his ministry, where he's preached the Sermon on the Mount, he's performed all these miracles, and he's taught these parables, and people have a pretty good idea who he is and what he's about. And it's at this point in his ministry that the religious leaders, the people who thought they had God all figured out, get a little frustrated with Jesus. In fact, more than frustrated, they're looking for opportunities to kill him, and so they're constantly constantly. constantly coming to Jesus with these questions to try to discredit Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 15, they start asking him some questions about the traditions that they grew up with. And what really stood out to me was this verse, Matthew chapter 15, verse eight, it says this, Jesus says, this people, speaking of his people, the religious people, the people who spent every Sabbath in the synagogue, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And I circled that as I was praying through this text in my Bible this week, but their heart is far from me. How often do we fall in the trap of talking about the things of God and never surrendering our heart to God? This is a little off topic, but this is something I've been pretty convicted with because I went to Bible college and I love when I spend time with God, opening up all the resources and the commentaries and studying the Greek language as if I could understand Greek and pretending like I was this great Bible scholar. And somewhere along the way, the Lord convinced me that the best way to spend time with God is to simply hear from God. That doesn't mean we can't dive into theology and figure out who God is and how he's revealed himself to his people. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But when you spend time with God, When you spend time with God, are you reading his word like it's a textbook? Are you looking for an opportunity for his word to sanctify you and shape the direction and desires of your heart? When you walk away from spending time with God, do you appreciate him more or do you have a deeper affection for him? You feel like, man, I know this God who makes himself known. Jesus is always seeking the heart of his people. And he says here in Matthew chapter six, this is a heart issue. Don't lay it for yourselves treasures on earth. That's good financial advice. What he's trying to get at is this is where your heart goes. You follow the treasure and you'll find out whether you're following God with your heart. He goes on in verse 22. He says this, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve... God and money. It's interesting as Jesus teaches. I don't know if you guys have ever read this. Maybe you haven't. But when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I sometimes struggle to follow Jesus' train of thought. Because like, there's this really succinct teaching on where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's almost like Jesus makes a hard right or hard left turn, and he's talks, talking about the eye as the lamp of the body. And, he, and, and I was reading it this week, I was thinking, sometimes I think Jesus' sermons are like, more confusing than my sermons. And then I realized that's because I didn't understand what Jesus was trying to say. This is all one complete thought. He says, where you look is where you will go. And what you take into your body will ultimately be what you become. And so in this context, he's saying, if you're always looking to make an extra buck, if all you can see and all you can focus on is money, your whole life, your priorities, your desires, your energy will all be about making more money. And it's going to lead to a really dark place. I don't think we have to look any further than like celebrity culture, those people who have dedicated their entire life to just making more money. And we see they're some of the most depressed, despondent people because they focus on the wrong thing. But if we look first and foremost at Jesus, he will reign and rule over our life. And then he says this, he says, we have to decide, are we going to serve God or are we going to serve money? Are we going to serve God and the things of God and seek his glory in our life? Or are we going to serve money and the things that money can provide and seek them above all else? And again, he's not saying that we can't serve God and make money. In fact, as we serve God, I think he expects us to make money so we can be generous with our money and take care of our family and make him known by the money we make. And he doesn't say that we can't serve God and spend money. Of course, we spend money. What I think Jesus is saying when he says you cannot serve two masters is every dollar should serve God. Every dollar should serve God when we make it and when we spend it. Every dollar should serve God when we give it and when we save it. Every dollar that God gives us, every dollar that we earn should go to work for his glory. And you think about it, like sometimes It does bring God glory when God's people are financially responsible, like when they live below their means, when they have a few dollars to save so in a rainy day, they can jump in and help someone else and not always be looking for a handout. What what he's saying here is that every dollar should serve God and advance his purpose. Jesus, or Paul would say to the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter three, verse 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Last few weeks ago we talked about giving, and we talked about tithing, and we talked about the first fruits and putting our trust in God by the way we trust him with our resources. What I what I think we might have left on the table is this idea that yes, we give God the first fruits. We give him the first 10% before the government gets their cut, before the mortgage company gets their cut, before the insurance company gets their cut. We give God the first fruits, but what is left? Is still fully dedicated to him. The way we spend our money to raise our kids, we do that for the glory of God. The way we spend money to date our spouse, we do that for the glory of God. The way we spend money to uh, buy the things that we need, the cars and things that we need, we do that for the glory of God. So that when people see us, there's no doubt that our resources are dedicated to his glory. And so that is Jesus' teaching on money. And when I was growing up with this text, like, we would kind of stop right there, and we would really unpack that, and the pastor talked talk about we should give more, and all of that is true, but we would leave it there. And the next week, we would pick up with the next section, but I was studying this week, and something, this is what really stood out to me more than anything else. So Jesus has taught this very familiar text on money, right? Do not lay it for yourselves, treasures in heaven. You know, uh, you cannot serve two masters. You love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and money. These are the kind of things that are familiar to us. We might struggle to apply, but we understand but in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, he says this. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not life more than food, In the body more than clothing? And this is really what stood out. And this is what I want to share with you today. Is Jesus isn't just talking about our treasure. He's talking about where we put our trust. Because the word, therefore, serves as a conjunction connecting these two passages, this whole idea on money and how we spend our money and how we steward our stuff and this idea about anxiety. And he says the two are inexplicably connected, that where we put our trust will ultimately lead us to trust God or trust ourselves. And when we trust ourselves, we will inevitably struggle with anxiety. I think it's interesting at this point to stop and think about the way we choose to read our Bible. We, sometimes we will read our Bible like we'll just pick one verse and we'll kind of pick and choose and we'll take it out of context. We'll copy and paste it and put it on a coffee cup when it serves our purpose as well. But as we step back and we read in context, we see that Jesus has holy advice for his people that will be helpful in the way we live everyday life. And the things he talks about money, and we serve God faithfully with our money, it will affect the way we trust him. So therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus is going to say, we have to look at who God is and how he is at work in the world. Let me be honest, I don't know if there's been a text I've preached in a long time that I have felt m- less qualified to teach on than a text on anxiety. I don't want to diminish it because I know so many people struggle with anxiety. In fact, last study I saw reveals that more than, more than 30 million Americans have admitted that they struggle with anxiety or have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And so I know it is bad. And the truth is there is much to worry about. In fact, in fact is we've been worrying about the same things we were worrying about back then, but now we have the internet. Right? Like we are still worrying about what we're going to eat, what are we going to drink, where's the money going to come from? What's tomorrow going to be like? How long am I going to live? The problem is now we have the internet that just makes everything worse. Like for example, I was thinking about this cause like when I was growing up even and I'm not that old. Like when you had a stomach ache, you just had a stomach ache. You take some Pepto-Bismol or drink a glass of water and lay down for a minute and just like you assumed you would wake up tomorrow. Today, you get a stomach ache and a quick Google search and a scan of an article, you diagnose yourself with stomach cancer, right? Before like anything happens. It's like the internet has just made everything worse because we're always seeing the worst case scenario and it surprises us. It surprises me sometimes like when it springs up and where it comes from. For example, just this week, true story. My wife sent me a post on Instagram about a lady, just a couple years older than me, who died from drinking too much water. Did you see this? It's like a real nationwide story. She sent me this post uh, and I was thinking, first of all, like water, like I drink water. Like I drink a lot of water. And just a few months ago, my wife told me I didn't drink enough water. So I started drinking more water. So I think she's trying to kill me or something. And like, I'm driving around all week, anxious because I've got this 24 pack of water bottles in my car and I'm dying of thirst. I thought if I drink that, am I going to die from the water? And all of a sudden, like I'm anxious and I'm surprised where the anxiety came from. There's always something to worry about. The truth is there's always been a lot to worry about. And I don't have time to address all the what-ifs running through your head or mine. And honestly, it wouldn't help because here's what I have found. The biggest way to be healed from anxiety is to spend time with God to learn from God who God is. Now, I'm not saying that if you struggle with anxiety disorder, you can't go see a doctor and take some medicine. Those things are good, and they're a gift of God's common grace. But I'm saying every follower of Jesus, when the anxious thoughts uh, start to present themselves, when we start to worry about providing for our family, providing for ourselves, having enough for tomorrow, how our health is going to hold up, when we start to worry about things that are really beyond our control, the best way that we can be healed from anxiety is to spend time with God, to hear from God who God is. Because the more we know God and the bigger our view of God, the more our anxieties will fade into the background and they will pale in comparison to our God. The truth is we can know God. I think one of the reasons we struggle so much with anxiety is we don't really know God. And we cannot trust a God we don't know. Like we might have learned about God in Sunday school growing up, and we might know some of the stories about Noah and Abraham and Moses and Jesus on a cross, and at the end of the day, we trust Him with our eternity because what choice do we have? But we don't really know God. We've learned about Him in Sunday school, but it's been a long time since we've spent time with Him, hearing from Him about who He is and how He's at work in the world. And Jesus has this crowd of people gathered around Him in the first century—a crowd of people who are very poor, who did not have a lot of resources, who, if they had a change of clothes at home, were in the upper echelon of financial stability of their day. And he says, don't worry about these things because look around you, see who God is and how God is at work in the world. Jesus, in fact, would say this in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? It doesn't really matter how much we worry about how long we're going to live. We can't do much about it, except for maybe drink a little less water. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown to the fire to the oven he sorry a different translation i got lost will will he not much more clothe you o you of little faith and there it is jesus connects our anxiety with where we put our trust therefore Do not be anxious, saying, what will we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the average person who does not know God, they seek after these things. They spend their whole life running after those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. I think it's interesting. Jesus is telling us that we can know God. That we don't just have to guess where our provision is going to come from, but we serve a God who, in his providence, provides for his people. In fact, he doesn't just provide for his people, but he provides for his creation. The birds of the air, we can literally sit at your front porch and watch the birds flying around and remember that God cares about the intimate details of our life and all of his creation is under his control. And you can see the flowers growing in your yard, or in my yard, the weeds that are sometimes flowering and think, man, even the weeds look pretty because God is adorning them, that God is in control. And we could spend so much time unpacking this, and we're going to just kind of a preview. We're going to spend our entire fall, the theme for our fall, which we're going to kick off our fall kickoff in September, September 10th, is going to be how to trust the God we know. So more on that to come. But Jesus says here, instead of looking to yourself, look to God. In fact, he would say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God, and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What Jesus is saying is you don't have to bury your head in the sand and pretend there's nothing to worry about. Like Jesus wasn't living under a rock. He lived in the real world and he had real problems. He had no job. He had no place to lay his head. He had to eat just like we have to eat because he came from heaven to earth to took on flesh to live life just like us. And Jesus understood our anxiety and he understands who we are and why we're worried. He says, sufficient is today, but seek the kingdom of God. Spend more time with God than we spend worrying about the things that are beyond our control. And God will provide all that we need. Which, if you're anything like me, and you start to worry about this text, you think, well, how can I know? Like, how can I know? Because even the birds die, right? Like, I've seen the animal planet. Sometimes they go looking for food, and there's no food, and then they die. It's like, this doesn't really help, Jesus. But Jesus says, we are more valuable. And Jesus not only takes care of our physical needs, but he is taking care of our spiritual needs. In fact, the writer of Hebrews would say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he would say this. He would say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, meaning all of these people who go before us in the faith, let us also lay aside every weight. That word for weight could be the word for anxiety. It's the pressures of life, the things that can bog us down to keep us from moving in the direction that God has called us to move. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus. And again, I love that. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let us lay aside every weight and struggle and sin and run the direction that God has called us, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer of Hebrews will say we have to look no further than Jesus, that we don't have a blind faith, but we have a founder of our faith, Jesus, who came from heaven to earth so that we could spend eternity with him so that we could invest our life for things that will last for eternity. And I'll tell you, that is a message not only worth living for, but worth sharing. And if we'll get busy about the things of God, we will find ourselves worrying less about the things that we cannot control. I'm going to share a story with you as I wrap it up. Several years ago, as you guys know, God called us to play into church. And I could spare you a lot of the details, but it's one of those trying times in life where I started crunching the numbers. I'm not even good at crunching the numbers, but I knew if you had a church with zero people and zero givers, it wouldn't be enough money to live off of. And so I started getting a little nervous. I started thinking about, man, just the fee, like just the cost of relocating to the place where God has called us to me, from where we were to Orlando was going to be significant. And so uh, the Lord provided for us a a job for my wife that would kind of bridge the gap, but we still needed resources. I started looking around like, what can I sell? I lived in a rented house. There wasn't much to sell there and had a garage full of junk. No one was going to buy that stuff. But in that garage was like my prized possession. It was a 14-foot flats boat. And man, I love to fish. And I had bought this. uh, We bought a couch at Big Lots so I could buy a boat when we first got married. I had this boat. And I love this boat. Um, and I was so excited. The Holy Spirit, as I prayed for provision, the Lord just can kind of gently prompt me, you should probably sell your boat. And I thought, man, I must not be hearing correctly because all of Jesus' followers were fishermen and I know he wouldn't call me to sell that fishing boat. And I kept praying. I started thinking, man, I think God's right. Like, I think I should sell the boat. And I can't even tell you, I wasn't really anxious about selling the boat. I was sad about selling the boat. All the things started going through my head. Like, if I sell that boat, I'll never be able to buy another boat. Like, if the Lord provides for us, we have a family. Like, man, the expenses are gonna pile. I'll never have enough. But the Lord was faithful. And so I I posted it on Craigslist. I sold the boat. I washed the pool away. A tear rolled down my cheek. I took that money. And we used that money to relocate to Orlando so we could start a church. I'll tell you, it's not often that I don't think about how I wouldn't trade for a second what God is doing through our church for what I had tucked away in my garage. But last summer, it really hit me, and the Lord was just so gracious. We went down to uh, Southwest Florida with our family for vacation, and I was helping my brother with his boat, because the best boat is a friend's boat, right? So I was pulling his trailer away after we launched, and I put it in the storage yard where everyone else had their boats. And as I parked his trailer, I looked around, and there were no less than 200 broken-down, beat-up boats, and I was sitting there by myself, parking the trailer, and uh, I was thinking about our church and I was thinking about the, what God is doing. I was just looked around and thought, man, this is where my boat would have ended up. And now some other bum has to put his boat in the storage yard. But the few dollars we were able to pull out of that thing is now invested in eternity. God has not provided for us another boat, right? He gives us what we need, not what we want all the time. But man, he's brought around us a, a church, a spiritual family, our best friends. We've watched him Move people from heaven to earth. Sorry, that's Jesus. From earth to heaven. Change the eternal trajectory of people's lives because of a small act of faith. I wish I could say I live like that all the time. Man, this this text preached to me this week because I struggle with greed. I'm always looking for new stuff and more stuff. But I'll tell you, there's no greater investment than investing in eternity. And when we're invested in the things of God, when we seek first the kingdom and his kingdom and his righteousness, He has a way of taking care of the rest. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your goodness and grace. What a privilege it is this week and every week to gather together as your people to make much of you. This ancient sermon that you preached nearly 2,000 years ago is still preaching to our soul. And so, Father, I ask that no matter where we're coming to you from, whether we are faithfully walking with you and just needed an encouragement that we were moving in the right direction, or we're just trying to figure this out, Lord, you speak to things that all of us have to wrestle with, like money and anxiety. Father, I ask that you would increase your trust, our trust in you. Father, we're going to sing some songs and make much of you. I ask that you would make yourself known to each and every one of us, that we might serve and trust the God we know. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.